now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Is it a, a great day? Is it a great moment for a surprise entry into the presidential contest? One of the things that has been on the minds of many people in Trump world has been whether the former president should make an early entry into the campaign and actually declare his candidacy for president of the United States before the January 6th committee has even completed its work and before Americans have voted for uh, the uh, midterm elections coming up. What's the idea of that? The idea of that is partially everyone is expecting a big thumping Republican victory. And uh, if Trump has already declared that he's going to be the leader of the Republican Party for the foreseeable future, then he could claim credit for it. Now, Doug Schoen is a very close observer of American politics. He is a pollster. He is a centrist Democrat. He is a proud centrist Democrat who's worked for Republicans as well as Democrats in the past. His uh, piece uh, saying, now more than ever, Democrats need Hillary, well, actually Hillary Clinton, to <laughs> remove any doubt. Uh, uh, it is very, Doug, great. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, your your column about Hillary, which follows a previous column you had with a similar theme in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, but this one's getting a lot of attention, isn't it? It is. And I think, Michael, that as Joe Biden and the Biden administration sink in the polls, Hillary becomes the only alternative, not because she is so popular, but because she is not part of this current administration. And I dare say, the current mess. Though, again, she she lost the nomination to President Obama. Uh, she mm -hmm. had her service as Secretary of State, uh, and uh, and then she won the nomination, and she ended up doing something that many of us thought was impossible: was losing to Trump. Uh, why uh, why would she be an advantageous? choice to try to reunite the Democratic Party for some kind of comeback? Well, first, with the emphasis on guns and women and the environment now, she will be able to make an argument for her kind of advocacy and that of her husband, uh, should she, as I anticipate she wants to, go forward with a candidacy, but it also means that she is able in a way to uh, basically say, don't blame me for Biden, which is going to be something that's going to be very important. I would reference one other uh, figure, Michael, uh, Richard Nixon. He lost for governor of California in 62 to Pat Brown and was elected president in 68, reelected in 72. So comebacks like this are not unprecedented. Right. But uh, again, Nixon had only lost one race for president. I mean, Hillary would be unique because she lost the nomination race back in 2008. And then she lost the presidential contest in 2016. The the um, 
in terms of enthusiasm, have you gotten an enthusiastic response from any leading Democrats, any anyone you can mention? Uh, well, who agrees they, they with you? haven't been in touch, but the uh, piece has hit a responsive chord. I've been hearing from people I haven't heard from for years, uh, and there is a, I dare say, a ring in their minds, as well as, of course, my own, a ring of cred- credibility. Uh, and believability to this. And the one thing I can say, knowing both Clintons, there is no shortage of enthusiasm for a prospective candidacy. Well, that is fascinating to hear, and I will take your word for it on that regard. But in terms of uh, enthusiasm, uh, what is it? The, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And uh, Hillary, unless my my math is wrong here, is 75 years old. Uh, She's a year younger than Trump. Uh, And uh, given the fact that one of the big issues that is counting against Biden and that it, it is impossible not to notice is the fact that he's the oldest president we've ever had. Uh. Doesn't uh, doesn't it become more desirable for the Democratic Party and for the Republican Party to turn to uh, some, dare I say it, new blood, younger face, younger personality? I think that's undeniably the case. And in the Republican Party, I fully expect Ron DeSantis to go forward with a candidacy, notwithstanding what Donald Trump does. But that being said, Who else do the Democrats have? I think the Democratic bench is so weak and so bereft of talent that uh, the party will have no choice but to turn to her because they sure can't turn to Kamala Harris. I don't think Pete Buttigieg is exactly ready for the White House. And uh, I don't think Amy Klobuchar is most likely nominatable. What about uh, Gavin Newsom? There, there is a piece today about why he's so much stronger candidate than his fellow Californian, uh, Kamala Harris. He is cruising to re-election. This will actually be his third uh, election within the last four years because he had the recall, which he won handily. Uh, Governor Newsom has just been running ads in Florida. He seems to be planning to make a go for it, don't you think? Well, I think that's certainly possible that he would want to do it, having observed him up close and personal. I'm not sure he's ready for national office. I'm not sure he is well enough versed on foreign policy to do it. But I tend to believe that a Secretary Clinton uh, makes clear her uh, availability that will, in a certain sense, clear the field. Uh, where does uh, she she stand uh, with uh, President Biden? I mean, there were stories in the last stages of the Obama administration that there was some tension between them when uh, she wanted the nomination. Clearly, she was the uh, outgoing Secretary of State, and uh, and Biden was wavering whether he had run or not. Is uh, do you think it is likely that? Uh, President Biden would feel comfortable handling the reins of the Democratic Party to a one-time rival? In my scenario, Michael, it's not a question of Biden's comfort. It's a question of uh, really necessity. I don't 
believe for a variety of reasons that uh, Biden will be able to run. And if I'm right and he is not able to run, then uh, he will not have uh, a demonstrable say in whether Secretary Clinton is, in fact, a candidate or the candidate of the Democratic Party. Um, and when you say, are you talking about uh, a scandal or are you talking about a health emergency? I, I think with his poll numbers dropping, with him obviously becoming at the very least more tentative in both his movements and his comments, I think it's becoming pretty clear that another term for him is extremely unlikely, and I dare say ill-advised. Hence uh, the rationale for the Secretary of State in the prior administration, the, the Obama administration, to move forward. Uh, Doug Schoen, his most recent book, which has a very powerful message, is uh, about uniting America. And... Uh, you can, it's called America Unite or Die, How to Save Our Democracy. I'm not sure that I agree with his answer, but it is intriguing, provocative, and always stimulating. Doug, thanks for joining us. When we come back, more about the political news, some of which is fairly amazing, coming up on The Medved Show. He's like a force of nature. He is so overwhelming. Michael Medved. There wasn't anyone who made me happier that I had more fun with, that I found more interesting. This is the Michael Medved Show. Entertain your brain. Your show is very entertaining. Every day on the Michael Medved Show. For those who are disappointed and suspicious of the Biden administration, which includes about 90 percent of Americans, 85 uh, percent of Americans think America's headed in the wrong direction at the moment. But for those who do have deep suspicions about the Biden administration, this is meant to reassure you. Uh, Dateline Washington, Secretary of State Antony Blinken named a new anti-corruption czar. On Tuesday, actually, the terms czar and corruption, uh, when you are referring to the traditional Russian czars that are deeply admired by President Putin, there's a certain <laughs> deep and close association um, between the czarist regime and corruption. But in any event, this is an anti-corruption czar uh, who has been appointed by the Secretary of State. And... Uh, his, he will be one of the top graft hunters, national journalists saying, in the government. And if you're hunting for graft, you can probably find it. Uh, by the way, his name, and this is not a nickname, it's his name. Uh, Jeremy, you know the name? Okay, he's uh, known as Rich Nephew. Um, and he probably is um, somebody's wealthy nephew. Uh, there is a general summary of uh, sort of the malaise. The malaise not in the country at large, though there's that too, but particularly in the Democratic Party and in the Biden administration and people trying to figure out what 
the heck are they going to do? And when you have Doug Schoen on saying that the best we can do is Hillary Clinton, who, um, I mean, Hillary has been not very much in the public eye and non-inspirational figure in the last couple of years. If you read uh, the books about the campaign, that was a campaign she absolutely should have won by most rules of politics, and it's an amazing tribute to uh, Donald Trump's insurgent impulsiveness that he was actually able to win that campaign, but it is also a tribute to Hillary not not being this uh, larger-than-life and appealing and unifying figure that Doug suggests she is. And that's very much needed by the Democratic Party. There's this from National Journal. Uh, in the view of many distraught Democrats, the country is facing a full-blown crisis on a range of fronts, and President Biden seems unable or unwilling to respond with appropriate force. Biden's response is often a mix of scolding Republicans, urging Americans to vote Democratic, and voicing broad optimism about the country. For some Democrats, that risks a dangerous failure to meet the moment. But as the Democratic rank and file thirst for a more combative attitude, uh, it becomes increasingly evident that uh, Illinois Governor J.D. Pritzker and California Governor Gavin Newsom are beginning to showcase an alternative tone, one that goes far more sharply at Republican attitudes and tactics. And this about another prospective uh, presidential candidate on the other side, on the Republican side. And uh, the, uh, there's one election lawyer who believes that the uh, deadlock by the Federal Elections Commission over whether Representative Byron Donalds, a Republican Florida, he is uh, the black congressman uh, Republican uh, from the state of Florida, is uh, authorized to use funds from a state campaign for a federal race or whether that was inappropriate. Now, if it is deemed appropriate, that could open the door for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is a big supporter of Byron Donalds, to use his $111 million war chest from his reelection campaign as Florida governor, which he is expected to win easily, for a presidential run. The uh, governor's political team has already identified ways to turn the massive war chest DeSantis has raised for his reelection into money that could be spent in a federal campaign and uh, would give uh, Ron DeSantis a tremendous head start. And uh, then there's, there's also the question of using the uh, abortion issue as a some kind of cudgel, which the Democrats seem determined to do. And uh, again, the, the tone of anger that they seem to be trying to whip up right now, it seems to me, is a ridiculous political strategy that won't work, never has, really. And, uh, and you hear about, um, well, people like uh, Samantha Bee, who I know she's a comedian on TV, but she's actually like most comedians on TV, a very partisan Democrat. 
she had uh, this to say about President um, Biden and particularly about the Supreme Court. And she called on uh, progressives to raise hell in American cities. Now, what does that mean? Didn't Trump get in trouble for that? Fight like hell? You have to fight like hell out there? She's saying that to raise hell in American cities and actually harass the author of the Supreme Court's opinion. This is clip nine. Listen. How painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase 50 years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's about doing everything in our power to protect and help vulnerable people access abortion across state lines. And we have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant, just as Alito eats at for the rest of his life. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. Okay, Samantha B. Republicans have made your life hell? Really? And again, this this idea of victimology and trying to run on being utterly victimized by the extremes of the other side. Look, uh, what are they going to emphasize most in terms of raising hell? Will it be guns? Will it be abortion? Will it be... Well, I'll tell you what it won't be. It won't be the one issue that all the polls show is number one for the American public, which is the economy. And uh, the idea that with all of this going on and uh, the, the tremendous insecurity that Americans feel on the verge of what could be a very serious, very painful recession, and with... Uh, Inflation continuing to change and impact the way Americans live. No, it's not making life hell, but it's sure making it more hellish. We will get to that and what happens next and more coming up on the Medved Show. The greatest show on God's green earth. Whoa, how, how gross and evil is that? It's the Michael Medved Show. Medved show, uh, there's a piece that uh, just appeared recently in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, it actually appeared the the day after the flood, uh, which, um, in other words, yesterday is a sort of an easy way to say it. And uh, it's a piece focusing on what uh, I think many people are thinking when you read about a Bobby Cremo, the shooter in Highland Park, Illinois, and all of the other shooters, so many of whom are people who've just on the edge of teenage years. I mean, this kid is 21, and clearly he's not right. And that, that old uh, song, the Who Song the Kids Are All Right, uh, not all of them. I think most American kids are 
terrific and they're great. And I like to think that uh, they all love their country and are willing to do something for it and are willing to care enough about it to get it to confront some of its problems. But some of them are too wrapped in addiction of various kinds, including the drug addiction that has led in the last couple of years to all-time highs in overdose deaths and the negatives of drug. But this is a a different kind of addiction. It's written about by uh, a family and tech columnist at the Wall Street Journal named Julie Jargon. And she says, in the pre-internet days, teens stashed Playboy magazines under their beds or sneaked peeks at late-night movies on cable. Pornography was in limited supply, even for the most curious kids. But the world is different now. Many parents have expressed to me their concerns about how easily kids find porn online. Indiana University researchers following a study last year estimate that 80% of of U.S. teens have watched porn. Many children in uh, the U.S. have seen pornography by age 10. What distinguishes online porn from those stashed magazines is that, as with so many other digital enticements, an endless supply is available. Anytime, imagine a 24-hour candy store where kids could gorge on sugar without parents there to stop them. Well, that would be bad for their bodies. So what can such readily available porn do to kids' brains? Well, there's plenty to say about the ways porn can affect the development of relationships and sexuality. This is a a more focused look at children's brain chemistry. Research shows that younger people's brains are more wired for pleasure than adults with higher spikes of the feel-good neurotransmitters uh, dopamine Uh, released in uh, anticipation of enjoyable activities. Because of this, many researchers believe young people are more vulnerable to compulsive porn use, which can lead to unrealistic views on sex. A singer, Billie Eilish, who is now 20, has spoken out about a porn habit that began, she says, at age 11, saying, I think the porn really destroyed my brain. Uh, that's Billie Eilish saying that. And uh, she then talks about all of these new developments technologically that are supposed to uh, enable parents, empower parents to have more control, um, more discretion over what uh, does go into their children's minds. And uh, there was a, a study at uh, Indiana University, where she says the younger participants in the study showed greater activity in the reward centers of the brain than the older participants when uh, shown porn. Those who had compulsive porn habits reported having first viewed online porn at age 13 compared with members of the control group who had first seen it at age 17. The brain's emotional center develops faster than the part of the brain that controls impulse. A review of the research on Internet porn's impact on adolescents conducted by researchers at several universities concluded 
that this disparity helps explain why teens lack the maturity to suppress sexual cravings, thoughts, and behaviors elicited by pornographic content. And, and that was a quote. Uh, Nicole Prouse, who is a research scientist at UCLA and a licensed psychologist, said that she's more concerned about what parents and authority figures tell kids about porn. She recently surveyed young adult men who had been in uh, porn abstinence programs and relapsed. Nearly 30% of the 228 respondents reported feeling suicidal afterward. Many more said they felt shame because of the societal messages about porn being bad. If we shut down conversations and say, don't watch porn, and if you do, it's an addiction and it will rot your brain, that's terrifying to them, she said. It's some of the messaging that's making it worse. And then uh, she goes on and talks about Apple, iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, uh, Google Chromebooks, and Android phones, and tablets, plus uh, Amazon, Google's family link app for Android. All of these means and uh, messages for actually trying to control some of, some of the problems that are built in here. And uh, this goes to a, a deeper problem in the country, which is headline, a fewer in U.S. now see Bible as literal word of God. Anyone think that's a good news item, that there are fewer people who see Bible as the word of God? This is a new Gallup report by Frank Newport of the Gallup Poll a record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God, down from 24% the last time the question was asked just five years ago. And half of what it was is its high points in 1980 and 1984. In those years, 80 and 84, half the country thought the Bible was the literal word of God. Here's the choice that people had to try to answer. Do you believe the Bible is... One, the actual word of God to be taken literally, that got uh, 20%. Uh, number two, do you think it's inspired by God, but not all to be taken literally? And uh, that got 49%, twice as much. And then again, uh, more popular by far then the idea that the Bible is the Word of God is the Bible is a collection of fables, history, uh, moral precepts recorded by man. That is 29%. If uh, you think that is a positive development, uh, you, you can give us a call. I think that in, in terms of the... Um, uh, one of the things they find is the shift in attitudes about the Bible is not an isolated phenomenon. It comes even as a number of indicators show a decline in overall religiosity in the U.S. adult population. These measures include declines in formal identification with religion, self-reported membership in a church, self-reported religious service attendance, and personal importance of religion. And uh, that almost always goes with a decline in a belief in God. Uh, if you have a, a strong opinion about that, 
uh, or about that reported change, 1-800-955-1776, our phone number. A slip of the tongue for a uh, sympathetic Arizona member of Congress. We will get to that coming up on the Medved Show. From politics to pop culture and from coast to coast, this is the Michael Medved Show. special spiritual journey this is the michael medved show and uh, that special uh, spiritual journey uh, has a another milestone that occurred today uh, the um, uh, georgia guidestones uh, described as america's stonehenge were blown up uh, early this morning extraordinary blown up shattered uh we will tell you what this means and why that may have happened and more coming up let's uh, go first to uh, ed in uh, mount vernon washington you're on the michael medved show and good afternoon michael medved i really appreciate that you've had some southern rock in your bumps You've had the Allman Brothers Band and the Marshall Tucker Band, and I really like that, I must say. Well, thank you to Jeremy. He is, he is responsible for all of those musical selections. He is the maestro. Well, I, I thank you, Jeremy. Michael, you must be familiar with the documentary Hypothesis. Sure. You mean it, it, you, basically in terms of the, who composed the Bible? Who composed the Bible? Does it challenge your faith if it were written by human beings with human interests at a certain time in history? And first of all, in terms of the documentary hypothesis, it's something I'm very interested in. I've been interested in it since college, where where I studied it there, and there. There are very few. Heinrich Wellhausen was the name of the German theologian scholar uh, with pretensions as a scientist who, uh, back in the late 18th century, began this idea that we had different sources from the Bible and they were all woven together. Uh, there's a J source, which is that the the main name of God that is used in Hebrew. There's a, an e-source, which is the secondary name of God, which is a plural name, by the way, which is used in Hebrew. And uh, then there's a p-source and a d-source, a priestly source and a deuteronomic source. And that all of this is waved to, woven together, and it was basically like there were postcards scattered on the floor, and you had to put them together in order. Here's, here's the, the way I feel about it. And after having spent a, a good deal of my life studying uh, this book, I, uh, I actually think if you take the assumption that it was not an accident and it wasn't written by different people in different centuries and then just woven together, that actually some of the contradictions, and there are contradictions in the biblical text, you're meant to learn from. And that... Um, 
Uh, the the one example that I would do you want me to give you give an example, Ed? Sure, I can give an example, or you can. Okay, but I'll I'll give you an example of a contradiction. Is that uh, in in terms of the creation of woman, which is very relevant right now to all of the the uh, accusations that religious conservatives are trying to repress women and oppress women and <laughs> Roe v. Wade. Okay, the Bible first says male and female created he them, and meaning that God created man and woman. And then after that, there's another account. It says that God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, and therefore he takes a side out of Adam, and the the Hebrew language actually suggests he says side, not rib, but that's commonly referred to as Adam's rib, and he creates woman. So this is a, a major uh, proof text for people who believe in the documentary hypothesis, which is that you take— That's ta- the, the J-source, the J-source. Right. Okay, well, it'd be, it's the J-source mixed together with the, uh, with the E-source, and they are contradict one another. But they don't. Yes. But they don't, because part of what that text— suggests is that God doesn't have a gender and uh, that uh, we we believe that God balances as human beings should uh, mercy, which is a female attribute primarily, and and judgment, uh, which is a male attribute, at least as is associated. By the way, the Hebrew word for a mercy is rachamim, which comes from the word for womb. So it, it really is female. And the idea oh, being that, that when it says that man was created in God's image, it doesn't mean that with fingernails and uh, toes and, and uh, belly buttons. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense at all for God to have been created with a belly button, right? Umbilical cord doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. Okay, so what it, God was created in man's image with with female and male elements, and they were separated and to create companionship. And then the very next passage says, and that is why I'm doing all this from memory, by the way. <laughs> and that is sure, why sure. that is why the very next passage is, therefore, a man shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh because they want to come back together again to be the way that human beings were originally created as as male and female together in one being. Okay. Michael, I love it. But do you really think Moses wrote that? Do I think Moses wrote that? I think that Moses wrote that down or some people around Moses or following Moses. And, and again, there's a, a lot of uh, belief from biblical scholars, including those who are very religious, of uh, oral traditions. In other words, the the idea of, though it is haunting that, uh, you know, some of the earliest Hebrew writing or proto-Hebrew writing they've ever found was in Sinai, was around uh, the, the mountain where a lot of this uh, came together. Uh, so... Do I believe literally that every single word of the Bible is uh, the Word of God? What I believe is I think you get more out of study if you at least hold that as a 
a possibility. Does that answer your question? Thank you, Michael. Well, listen, it's a great and relevant question. What I feel is unfortunate today, and it, it does relate a little bit to Highland Park, is just the lack of faith in anything. When people think the, uh, the Bible is just junk or it's irrelevant or it has nothing to challenge us with, and it's interesting, you asked the question very well at the beginning, Ed. You asked, does this challenge your faith? I think it's good to challenge your faith. Faith shouldn't be like you're sitting back and you've eaten a great big full meal and now you're satisfied. It's full of challenges. And and then again, this goes to the episode of uh, uh, Jacob uh, wrestling uh, with an angel. I know that there's a book of biblical commentary not one of my favorite books by any means, but it's called God Wrestling. And uh, that whole idea of trying to come to terms with a text that sometimes is very challenging and deserves to be taken seriously, it seems to me is an important message. There's also an important message in a piece that I had mentioned earlier in the show, and it's called, And the Devil is Laughing. It says, immediately the mass shooting at the Independence Day Parade at Highland Park was weaponized for its political value, even before the grief-stricken families of the victims could begin to process their loss. And the suspect's family was out there, too, at least one of them saying he never saw this coming, that he was surprised. Does anyone really believe that his family did not know of his violent fantasies and bloody dreams? No, nobody believes that. You take one look at the suspect with the face tattoos and that mouth of madness, and you listen to the violent videos he put out. You see the eyes that are so dark and lightless. You see the evil that should have been locked away and yet was not locked away at all. He's locked away now, but it's too late for the people of Highland Park. He says, we infantilize our young people. We demand the right to kill the innocent unborn. We raise our young in a culture of death. There are elementary school teachers who are regularly depicted on social media as being excited about exploring sexual themes and gender identity with young children. Ours is a culture that fills kids with pharmaceutical drugs to manage their mood swings, a culture that offers them video games to live out their most violent, murderous fantasies. In other words, there's something much deeper that uh, is worth considering with this crime and uh, also to consider about some of the challenges that America faces in the next few months around the world for this greatest nation on God's green earth. 